Thank you, Carl. Carl is one of uh, many people who know me well. I'm happy to be with you this morning. We're going to be using a, um, a PowerPoint presentation. I'd love to encourage all you folks that are sitting in the back to come up toward the front for two reasons. Number one, you won't be able to see it unless you come up toward the front. Number two, I can't see your faces. And I want to be able to see your faces because sometimes my mind gets ahead of my mouth and I make a mistake and I look at your face and I say, oh, what did I say? Okay, so come on up towards the front, if you will, and we're going to get started. I, I hope that uh, and pray that the Lord will send you a good pastor, that the elders of this church will be very, very astute when they interview these men that come before them so that the Lord's choice for your church will come here and that you will have an under-shepherd to lead you every week. All right. As uh, Carl mentioned in the introduction, my purpose here is twofold. Number one is to glorify God. Number two is to edify and educate you so that you can be better servants of His. So I want you to keep one thing in mind as we go through this today. The Scriptures say, To him who knows the right thing to do and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Right? Okay. Now, I have to ask you, do you all believe the Word of God is recorded in the Scripture? Do you? All right. Do you all agree with the Word of God is recorded in the Scripture? Okay. Now, these are very profound and very important questions. John chapter 1 tells us that in the beginning, God... Created. The first verse of the Bible tells us that. It wasn't hanging around for billions and billions of years. It says that Jesus Christ is the person of the Trinity who created everything. Without him was nothing created. He created it all. Okay? And that includes us. That includes us. We're going to, uh, this morning, look into that in a little greater detail. Now, once you have this information that I'm going to impart to you this morning, you have a responsibility. The Lord knows that you'll have this information. He knows what's in your mind. And he will set up appointments for you that you don't know about. Maybe you'll be sitting at coffee, perhaps over in the mall, and you'll come in contact with someone. Some conversation will ensue, and you will come to a point where you will realize I should say something about that that you learned this morning. And if you don't, then it's a sin for you. So if you don't want God to put you in that sort of situation, you should pick yourself up and go home. Because he will do things just that way. Right? I know because he's done it to me. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24, one of my favorite verses in the Scripture for all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls away, but the word of God endures forever. Forever. We're going to see how very, very true that is this morning. And God followed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. 
Do you not want to know what you are? God says you're, in His Word that you are made of the dust of the earth. That means you're made of the elements of the earth. That He ordered in such a way, which is beyond our comprehension, and then breathed the breath of life into Adam, and he became the first living soul. All right? But dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And that gives you a very important, inspired idea of your position in this life. But because of His grace and His love, He has elevated you to a position where you may be called His child. He loves you and He's adopted you. It also says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, He made him in His own likeness. Male and female, He created them and He blessed them. And in that day they were created, He called them man or mankind. How did God create mankind in his own image and his own likeness? In the beginning, he created them male and female. Very simple. Male and female. Only two categories. There's nothing else. Here we have the United Methodist Church split over the very thing that half of them apparently don't believe God's word. There's only male and female. There's no females who want to be males, or males that want to be females, or men that want to call themselves women, or women that want to call themselves men. There's only male and female. Very simple. Very simple. Jesus, our Lord, said, Have you not read that from the beginning the Creator made them male and female? Mark says, however, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Nothing else. Nothing else. Anyone who tries to abrogate that order which God created is an abomination. The Scriptures say this in many ways. I want to talk this morning about some uh, cytology. Cytology is the study of the cell. Oh, back in the 1600s, a man named Leeuwenhoek had the first microscope that we know of, and he looked at some cells, some plant cells, some cork cells, I believe it was, under the microphone, and he came up with the idea of a cell because they looked like a small enclosure that monks used when they were in a monastery, so he called them cells. As time went on and microscopes got better, they began looking not only at plant cells, but they began looking at animal cells. And back at that time, because the microscopes weren't very powerful, they thought that cells were very, very simple things. They thought that they had about the complexity of a ping-pong ball. That was it. As time went on, however, and microscopes got better, they looked in the cell and they were able to see that it was full of all kinds of different structures. But they couldn't really see them. As time went on, microscopes got better and better until we came, they came up with something called the electron microscope. With the electron microscope, it was possible for the observer to look at the cell as if they were flying over the city of New York at night. And you could see the entire city spread out before them. Okay? In other words, blowing the cell up another way of looking at it, 
so that it was big, so that you could get inside it and look around and see what it looked like inside. And they were absolutely blown away at the complexity. And even today, the deeper that they study this in the field of cytology, the more amazed they are at the complexity that is there. This complexity, as I'm going to show you this morning, testifies to the fact that none of this could just have spontaneously developed all by itself. It's not only impossible, it's simply absurd for people to think this way. But they do. If you were flying over a city at night, and you were looking down at that city, you would see, that is in cells, that nearly every feature of our advanced machines that we have today have analogs or counterparts in the cell. You would see artificial languages and systems to decode them. You would see memory banks for information storage and retrieval, superior to the computer systems that we have. Superior, greater in capacity. You would see elegant control systems regulated the automated assembly of parts and components. You would see fail-safe and proofreading devices utilized for quality control. Do you know that when the cell divides and chromosomes divide, forming two, that there's a mechanism to go up and down the chromosomes to make sure there aren't any mistakes. You would see assembly processes involving the principles of fabrication and then construction. All those directions and all those facilities are there in the cell. In fact, so deep would be the feeling of deja vu, so persuasive the analogy that much of the terminology we would use to describe this fascinating molecular reality would be borrowed from the world of the late 20th century technology. And what you would be witnessing would be a world representing a factory, resembling a factory, an immense automated factory, factory larger than a city, carrying out almost the many unique functions as all the manufacturing activities of man on Earth. You don't realize, but in every cell of your body right now, there are more chemical reactions going on, chemicals being formed, and receptors that the chemicals would be going to, and the receptors will be responding to it. There isn't a, a, a factory chemistry on Earth, nor is there the combined capacity of all the chemistry factories on Earth to replicate the chemistry that's going on in every single one of your cells every single second. There's nothing that we have that can compare to it. Now, they only discovered this lately. And more and more they discover, the more and more complex they understand it to be, the more and more forlorn the idea that this all developed out of nothing spontaneously becomes. Yet they fight against it. This would be a factory which would have been one capacity, would have one capacity not equaled in any of our own most advanced machines for it would be capable of replicating the entire structure within a matter of a few hours. That's what happens. Your cells divide. Complete replica. Just in a short period of time. 
To witness such an act of magnification 1,000 million times would be an awe-inspiring spectacle. Certainly would. Here's a Boeing 747. It has about 400, well, four and a half million non-flying parts. Great principle which is being discarded is one of reductionism. Scientists say, well, if we want to know how things work, we've got to take them apart, right? And we take it apart, we take it apart, we take it apart, all the way down to, well, the atoms. Now, when you do that with a 747, and you take the whole thing apart, you find that it's made up of a whole bunch of non-flying parts. None of them fly. What makes a Boeing 747 fly? Intelligence makes it fly. The parts have been assembled in such a fashion that they can be utilized for a purpose which was developed far before the parts were assembled. Right? Now, look at the cell. The cell has billions of non-living parts. And if you were to take it apart and lay each one of these parts out, you wouldn't understand what makes the cell do what it do what it does, just like the Boeing 747. You wouldn't understand it. So my message to you this morning is about information and complexity, which is extremely important. First, things is a first thing is a definition. You always must start out with a definition so we're all on the same footing. Information is defined as an enfolding of order at the level of contemplative cognition. Now, in simpler terms, that means that information is mental. Mental, right? Information is information. It's not matter or it's not energy. And any materialist or materialism which disregards this will not survive today. Okay, the fundamental quality of information is it's a non-material mental entity. It's not a property of matter, right? So that pure material processes are fundamentally precluded as sources of information. What this says is that information cannot spontaneously develop from matter. Now, if you think about it, you'll understand that very quickly. Here's where we were all back in the 1600s. They were looking at a plant cell. And then they were able to look at an animal cell. And pretty soon they were able to see in more detail a bacterium. But it wasn't until the electron microscope came along and they were able to see a virus. And then now we can even see small molecules with the electron microscope. Fantastic thing. When they started looking inside the cell and inside the nucleus, they found that inside the nucleus were even more complex structures. Chromosomes. Chromosomes. Two types, X chromosome and Y chromosome. Now, if the child is born with two X chromosomes, it will be a female. If the child is born with an X and a Y chromosome, it will be a male. Y chromosomes only come from males. Therefore, which of the parents, the father or the mother, 
determines the sex of the child. The father, not the mother. A whole bunch of kings in olden times would get rid of their queens because they didn't produce a boy. Not their fault. Okay? It's the man's fault. That's the way God designed it. Okay? And there's nothing else. There's no folding of an X chromosome or a Y chromosome into something else that's halfway between. It doesn't work that way. Okay? And inside the chromosomes, when they began looking further and further with electron microscopes, they began to see these little things and they could not understand what it was. And along about this time, simultaneously was developing the field of biochemistry. Now we've got inorganic chemistry, and then we have biochemistry, which means the chemistry of life. And I will tell you from personal experience that the more complicated of the two is biochemistry. You have no idea of the complexity of biochemistry, how fantastically complex it is. And they were able to work out, two men right here on Long Island up in Cold Spring Harbor, by the name of Watson and Crick, they were able to work out the composition of this little stuff, which is called DNA, which stands for deoxyribonucleic acid. Deoxyribonucleic acid. They didn't know what it was used for, didn't know what it was, but they discovered it. Then they began doing more and more work on it. And they found out that what DNA is, is information. It's information. The DNA in every cell in your body, when it divides, contains enough information to build another you in every detail. That's a lot of information. When they first discovered it, the evolutionists railed against it. They, they didn't want it to be called information. Oh, it's ridiculous, it's not information. Because they knew that information does not arise spontaneously out of chaos. It can't happen. So they railed against it. But they did more and more work on it. And they found that indeed it is information. And it's more information than you can possibly ever imagine. And it's arranged in a helical structure like this. In other words, it's a spiral. Okay? And in this DNA, there are groups or little sections which are called genes. All right? Genes. They determine a lot of physical characteristics. Now we have a group of people who falsely call themselves Christians, but they're homosexual Christians. There's no such thing. There is no such thing. For 70 years, geneticists have been looking for what's called a gay gene. A gay gene that will make homosexuals into homosexuals from their genetics. There is no such thing. They've been looking for it for 70 years. There's no such thing. Right? It is what it is. Okay, now let me give you a, uh, an object lesson. It's a very simple one, but it's also a very profound one, and it's sneaky, which is what you expect from a person like me, right? Okay. I've written some information down on this paper, right? 
And I'm going to uh, fold it. Well, you got to watch carefully. I'm going to hand it to you to read, to yourself. Can you read that? Oh, good. Okay, let me have that back, would you? Okay, all right. Hold that, will you? In the saucer. In the saucer. Hey, hold it up here. Now watch carefully. This is the sneaky part. simple thing, right? Okay, now let me ask you some questions about that. First of all, is the information, has the information been destroyed? No or yes? No? No. He's got it. I got it. So the information still exists. What did I do? Although I didn't make those things, the paper and the pen, ink. I ordered the matter in such a way that information could ride upon it. But the paper and the ink did not give rise to the information. Did it? Where did the information come from? Me. Where is it now? It has not been destroyed, has it? All right. Now, that's a very simple ob observation, right? Now, the information came from me, came from my mind. You agree? Is the information the same as my mind? Oh, it's a little tougher question. Is the information the same as the mind? No. The information is a product of the mind. The information was produced by the mind, but the mind and the information are not the same thing. Now, if the matter upon which the information was written was destroyed, you told me, the information was not destroyed. No. Let me ask you another question. As Christians, answer this question. If all the matter in the world was destroyed, would God's Word be destroyed? No. Because God's Word comes from God, who is eternal. All right? So now that verse comes home to you, doesn't it? Man can wither and fade and fall away and die like the flower, but the Word of God is what? Endures forever. He endures forever. Now here's a question for you too. Destroy all the matter in the world. 
Have you destroyed God's mind and God? No, because God is not matter. Is he? God, the Father, is spirit. He is non-corporeal, God the Father. God the Son, all right, our Lord Jesus, we can handle him. He is the God-man, right? It's an interesting thing to think about, isn't it? Now, we know that information is required for every single life process, and therefore we can determine, we can conclude that information is essential, an essential characteristic of all life. Without information, you can have no life. You can have no life without information. And if you try to explain life processes in terms of physics and chemistry, you can't do it. It's impossible. And, the, and an attempt to do so is simply absurd. All right? It's a fundamental problem confronting all present-day biology, which is based on evolution. Now, as you're coming up through school, whether it be grade school, high school, college, you were never given access to this information that I'm giving you here. They lied to you. Does that disturb you to find out that you've been lied to? in your education? Shouldn't. Because the scriptures say the world hates God. Jesus said, don't be surprised that the world hates you because it hated me before it hates you, but don't worry, I have overcome the world. Every part of life, no matter what you look at, all the panorama of life that you can think of, all has to be based on information. Without it, there's no life. But just the information in the DNA is not enough. The cell has to have mechanisms in place that can read the information. Then it has to have systems within itself, factories, that can produce additional chemicals that it can send to manufacturing plants to make things like your ear or your hair or lack of it. And then every part of your body is manufactured in the cell by making thing, chemicals that make other chemicals that find receptors that find factories to manufacture it and you are manufactured. That's what happened. When your dad's sperm and your mother's egg came together, that whole process began. And the next thing which is fantastic is it was completely unique. There's not another person like you in all the universe. Just you, you're unique. God knows you, and that should take on a greater meaning now because he knows you at the level of molecules. He knows everything about you. He knows when you were conceived. The scriptures say it is God that opens the womb. He saw you when you were in your mother's womb. Psalm 139 will tell you that. He saw you when you were in your mother's womb. And he knew you at that time. He knew all about you. He knew how tall you were going to be, what color your hair was going to be, what color your eyes were going to be. 
course, whether you were a boy or a girl, he knew all that when you were conceived because he knows all that information. Now, he not only knows about you, but he knows all that information about every other human being who's ever been born or ever been born. And he knows all that information about every animal that's ever been born or ever will be born. He knows all that information. All right? Now, will you concede that I know more about some things than you do? You're looking at me like I'm trying to trap you. Will you concede that? Well, good. Thank you very much. I will concede that there are some things that you know more about than I do. How's that? That make you feel better? <laughs> but God knows more about everything than all of us put together. Okay? And he has chosen you as his child to live eternal life with him. That's the wonderful thing. That's the wonderful thing. Okay? Now here's a scientist's admission. This is a man named Neil Broom. He's a PhD in chemical and materials engineering. Chemical, material, chemical engineering is a fantastically tough subject, hard to learn. And he wrote a book called Blind as a Watchmaker. And he says this, a fundamental problem that science has never been able to solve is how to produce energy flow through the system to do this work of coding in order to produce, for example, a functioning protein. Living systems, of course, do harness energy for this purpose, but only because the required purposefully assembled metabolic machinery is already in place and functioning. Which means that the information on the DNA could not have been developed first. And then the machinery responsible for taking the information and making it into a person developed later. Now the machinery for doing the work of reading the information and making it into a person had to be there, but there wouldn't have been any purpose for the machinery to be there unless the DNA information had been there at the same time. What does that tell you? It all had to come into being at the same time. This is what the Lord Jesus did when he created man. All the machinery came into being at the same time, being assembled in a fantastically complex way by the Lord from the dust of the earth to make you. And he breathed into it and it became a living soul. Now here's the model that Charles Darwin came up with. And three-quarters of the world, well, maybe 90% of the world is operating on this assumption. Well, in his model, you have matter, and you add to it energy, and you add to it time. Oh, fantastic, incomprehensible amounts of time, and you get somehow life. They don't know how. Yet we are assured it happens. But the creation model, which is our model, is this. You have matter and energy and time, but added to it is... See that? Can't read it from here. It's too bright here. Outside intelligence. Outside intelligence. Life could not have arisen 
by itself. It requires outside intelligence. And what I've shown you this morning tells you that that must be so. This model is absolutely absurd. You have to be stupid beyond belief to believe it. Even the scientists today recognize this, so you know what they've done. Even the uh, discoverers of DNA, one of them admitted it. He said there's no chance that this complex system of DNA could have arisen spontaneously by chance processes on this earth. So therefore it had to be seeded here from outer space. And that's what they're trying to do today. Why do you suppose all of a sudden there's a tremendous interest in extraterrestrial intelligence? And now you're seeing extraterrestrial crap that the United States is releasing information about. Okay? In other words, maybe someday a spaceship will pull up on Washington's front lawn and uh, something will get out of it and say, Hello, I'm your father. We created you from such and such a place, such and such a star. Do you know what the Apostle Paul said about something like that happening? If we, or even an angel of light, should preach to you any other doctrine than that which we have preached, let them be accursed. This is where it's headed today. They recognize that life could not have evolved here on earth all by itself. It had to have direction. It had to have intelligence. But nothing was here, so it came from an advanced civilization somewhere out in space which actually begs the question, if it couldn't have developed here spontaneously by itself, how did it develop out there spontaneously by itself to produce the advanced civilization that made us, according to that? You see? Silly. But that's what it's coming to. Okay. The DNA molecules are the ultimate nano, that means tiny, information system. So much information is stored that it would require 70,000 volumes of encyclopedic-sized books to record it. That you can't get your hand around, your head around, any number like that. Okay? So here's Werner Gitt, which I recommend, I recommend his book to you. Werner Gitt, G-I-T-T, in the beginning was information. Since the findings of James D. Watson and Francis H.C. Crick, it was increasingly realized by contemporary researchers that the information residing in the cells is of crucial importance for the existence of life. Anybody who wants to make meaningful statements about the origin of life would be forced to explain how the information originated, and evolutionary views are fundamentally unable to answer this question. And it is still the same way today. They have no answer for it. Yet if you look in the airwaves and you look on the web, all you see is evolution. That's all you see. That's all you will see. I'm going to skip over this one. Information is information, not matter, not energy. We talked about that. 
But this is what the Lord Jesus did, which we just read in the first chapter of John. He made it. He assembled it with such an intelligence which is far greater, no comparison, to the intelligence that we have. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Not evolved. You were made with a purpose. God does nothing without purpose. He knows you. He knows me. Now let me give you something else which should be troubling to you. Every single one of you has a gift. Every single one of you has some sort of a talent which God gave you. What are you doing with it? Are you sim simply satisfied to lean back on the everlasting God, the arms of God and just drip through life? You won't please him that way. Jesus said, you are the light of the world, and if you hide your light under a bushel, essentially, what good are you? What good are you? All right? Now, I want to talk to you about this DNA, how tremendously packed the information is, so you can try to get your head around it a little bit, okay? All right, the packing density of DNA is so great that you have to have an illustrative comparison. So I'm going to show you a slide here, which I wish we had less light so you could see it better. But this slide measures 32 millimeters by 32 millimeters, since an inch is equal to 25.4 millimeters. Here's a little thing of a little bit bigger than the size of a postage stamp. Now, this has actually been done. They've taken the entire Bible and they have recorded it on this thing about the size of a postage stamp. Right here, in the beginning God created, and over here, all the way through the Scriptures, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you, etc., etc., etc. The whole Bible on the little thing that big. Okay? Now, to get to the size of the packing density of that information, and the Bible is information, you would have to take the same sized postage stamp and you would have to divide it into 2.77 million rows and 2.77 million columns, each one containing a slide which has the entire scripture. That would look like this. In other words, here's, this, here's the postage stamp that we start with, with the entire Bible, and now we need to take 2,770,000 columns and 2,770,000 rows and columns, and if you multiply the rows by the columns, that is, if you multiply the length times the width, you'll come up with 7.7 million, million Bibles on one thing the size of a postage stamp. Can your mind get a hold of that? 
If you started counting right now, one, two, three, how long would it take you to reach a million? You'd still be here tomorrow. Here we're talking about a whole bunch of them. 7.7 million, million Bibles in one thing the size of a postage stamp. Do you know with all our wonderful, vaunted technology, we cannot produce anything like that today? Remember, remember about the spy stories with the micro dots? That's nothing. It's nothing. We can't produce anything like this today because it's information recorded at the molecular level. And we can't do it. We're getting closer, and the closest we've got is a computer language, which deals with one and zero. But that's nothing. That's huge. If it were possible to do it, you would have reached the density of information carried on every cell. Every cell. But it's technologically impossible to do. And even if you did it, you still would have a lifeless bunch of information. You wouldn't have the, all the other things that I've discussed with you about the cell, how the information can be read, how it can be multiplied, how it can be used. You'd still just have lifeless information. Okay? The highest known statistical information density is living cells. Nothing else greater. Nothing. Yet we are to believe that all of that developed by chance, spontaneously, out of matter. Matter, left to itself, and time developed all that. Why don't they teach you that, or teach our kids that in school? totally unreasonable. Oh, here's another illustration. Here's a uh, remarkable photograph. It's an ant. He's holding a microchip. That's a pretty neat photograph. Question is, which holds more information, the ant or the microchip? You guess the ant. You'd guess right. There's no way that you could get the information to make an ant on that microchip. No way. Okay? So such a theory is just absurd. But here's Richard Lewontin. We take the side of science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs. You, you bet it is patently absurd. But we believe it anyway. In spite of its failure to fulfill many of its extravagant promises of health and life, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just-so stories, and we do this because we have a prior commitment, a commitment to materialism. That's called professional bias. You shouldn't be surprised at that. The whole world has it. The whole world has it. Why do they have such a bias? It's a very simple thing. You don't need to make it complex. You don't look, need to look any further than the Scriptures. The whole world feels that way because they hate God. They hate the idea of God. 
And consequently, they hate you. Let me give you an example of hatred. I'm watching the political process. I'm watching people in the House of Representatives, the Speaker of the House, the head of the House Judiciary Committee and the House Intelligence Committee. Those people get up to speak and you can see the hatred in their faces. It consumes their lives. God says you're to hate, but you're to hate the things that He hates. These people wake up in the morning and the first thing that comes to their mind is how they can think up something to convict President Trump of some crime. Hatred. It consumes them. But what you don't seem to realize is they don't have a hatred just for Donald Trump. They hate you as well. And me. You know why? They hate us in specific because we're Christians, because we know God exists and we believe in Him. They hate us. None of them are Christians. Look at the Democrat candidates. Which one of them do you think is a Christian? The one, uh, Buttigieg, the homosexual. There is no room in the Democrat Party for anyone who is pro-life. They all agree on abortion. Conversely, President Trump is the most pro-life president you've ever had in the history of our country. When you go to the voting booth, as all Christians should go to the voting booth, that should be enough for you to understand. No Christian should be voting for a person who supports abortion. That's the end of the story. It's that simple. They not only promote abortion, they hate human life, okay? They hate you, they hate me, but you have an obligation to do what you can. It's your responsibility to do it as a citizen, and that should be enough. That should be enough. Regardless of what you think of Trump's style or his rhetoric or anything else, he stands against abortion. His opponents all applaud it. That should be enough. Now, I hope I haven't offended you. And if I have, well, I'm sorry. Not really. <laughs> Romans chapter 1 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man who hold the truth in unrighteousness. That's what these people are doing. They know that life could not have evolved, and yet they hold that truth in unrighteousness. They try to cover it up. It's like a giant spring that they're trying to hold down. Okay? Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. You look at the cell under the microscope, and what do you see? You see, there's God. He has to be. Yet they know that, and they hold the truth in unrighteousness. Okay? That's why His wrath is currently being revealed from heaven against people like that. Right? For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that, what? They are without excuse. In other words, everybody in the world knows that God exists. Oh, I don't believe in God. Baloney. 
You certainly do believe in God. Every single person in the world believes in God, knows He exists, but holds it down for one reason, because they hate Him. They hate Him. And I imagine some of you were in the same condition before the Lord saved you. <laughs> Which was because of His grace. Not because of your wonderful intelligence, that you were so great and intelligent that you reasoned everything out and reasoned there has... And then you came to Him and said, Lord, please save me. No, He saved you because He loved you. Out of nothing but His grace. Not works. Not your mental acumen lest any man should boast. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened, and professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. They became fools. Today, most of the world believes nothing exists except matter and energy. And the two are interchangeable. Well, we know the two are interchangeable, but they say nothing else exists because they hate the idea of God. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Now, I've met a lot of them in my former line of work as a college professor. And every one of them reasoned that they were more intelligent than I was. Maybe in some things they were. <laughs> you know the ones which were the most arrogant about their intelligence? English professors. Can't believe it. They know more about genetics, cytology, anatomy, physiology, thermodynamics. They know more about all that stuff than I do. And you have to be stupid to believe what you believe. Me. I want to give you a proverb. Let me see. I think I have it here. It reads this way. Twenty-six. It's 26, verse 12. You might want to copy that down. 26, 12, Proverbs. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Okay. I'm going to skip through this and come back to that verse. Because the word of the Lord endures forever. And I hope I've demonstrated that to you this morning. I really do. Now I have one more thing to show you, which I think will be helpful. I'll go through it rapidly. There's food downstairs, you don't have to worry. No roast is burning. Okay? Here's an electric motor. You've all seen one of those. Haven't you? And you see one, and you would obviously conclude that where'd it come from? It's been manufactured in some business by a skilled technician. Why? Because it's complicated. 
you would consider the complexity of all this design that transforms electricity into a force which causes a, a shaft to spin, producing torque, which can be used for all sorts of things. The rotor can then be attached to a shaft connected to another mechanical device to do all sorts of things like a propeller or run a pump or anything like that. And the motor has many parts, all assembled in such a way to produce a desired outcome. It has an induction coil, has wiring, a rotor, magnets, a shaft, bearings, housing, power supply for electricity, ports for lubrication, all sorts of things. There's an electric motor. Simple thing? No, it's not a simple thing, but something you can understand, isn't it? And how to get there? Somebody made it, right? Well, here's a bacterium called Escherichia coli. And it has a flagellum tail on it. And the tail spins and propels the Escherichia coli, of which you have millions of in your gut right now, down in your intestine, lower part. And it propels that bacterium forward so it can swim, if you will. So they began looking with the electron microscope at the flagellum, which is what this thing is. And here's what they found. It's not so simple after all. There are two membranes, the outer membrane and the inner membrane. And the flagellum, which is this part, has all this down below. What's all this consist of? Well, here's the flagellum, which is a filament. It has a hook, a right angle hook, and it spins, it rotates. Here is a shaft going down through, and it's surrounded by a bearing. so that the shaft won't wear through the membrane. It's got a bearing or a bushing in it to keep it from wearing through the membrane. So you get on a little further and you find a motor. It's an electric motor. Here's a shaft, the filament, the hook in it, a shaft that runs down through, here's a bushing, okay? And here's a, a motor, which consists of a whole bunch of rings to keep it in place so it won't tear out through the membranes. And the motor itself is an electric motor. And I mean that literally. There it is. This is how it works. It works chemically to produce electricity. Not like our electric motor. This one is a chemical electric motor. Your whole body runs on electricity. Okay? And here it is. The rotary nature of the bacterial flagellar motor was a startling, unexpected discovery. Unlike 
Other systems that generate mechanical motion muscles, the bacteria motor does not directly use energy that is stored in a carrier molecule, such as ATP. Rather, to move the flagellum, it uses the energy generated by a flow of acid through a bacterial membrane. The bacterial flagellum, in addition to proteins already discussed, requires about 40 other proteins for function. How do lowly bacteria get an electric motor? Okay. As the number of required parts increases, the difficulty of gradually putting the system together skyrockets and the likelihood of indirect scenarios plummets. Darwin looks more and more forlorn. And all the scientists know this. Yet they still continue to insist that their materialism be taught in all our schools. They continue. But the Lord knows all these things. The Lord knows all these things. All right? Now I could come back sometime and I could talk to you at length about evidences, if you don't think this was long enough, about evidences for God's creation through chemistry, biochemistry, physics, thermodynamics, anatomy, physiology, pathology, reproduction, and that's only a short list, and I could talk to you for at least an hour on every one of those. And I can demonstrate to you conclusively the absurdity of this idea of materialism and the wonderful truth that the Lord created us all. All right? Amen. Thank you for your patience.